My earliest memories are of food and culture and heritage. And I think that's always um, inspired me, this like little passion of food and cooking in me. Born ready. I was born ready, baby. Are we actually on? Yeah, we're on. We're on? Yay! And I'm keeping that in. Yeah. Hello, Born everyone. Born to be wild. See? I can't Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Birmingham Food Podcast. That is Breaking Bread. Hosted by two food-obsessed mates, Liam and Carl. I'm Liam, that's Carl. What? You've already heard his beautiful singing. Yeah. I'm definitely keeping all that in. Keep it? <laughs> Are you keeping? <laughs> yeah, good, good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Anyway, people are here for food, mate. Mate, that's why, that's why I live. When we recorded the last intros for the, uh, the pause episode, you were going to smoke. I want to hear about smoke. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Stu Dealey, what a job he's done over at Peels. He's got his own little spot there. Well, Peels is still open, isn't it? Yeah, Peels is still there. The handsome man, you've got your thing there. And he's basically got this, I think he said it was an old horse barn or something like this. And they've converted it all, put a kitchen there, put some tails in. It looks really nice inside. Got some good wines on and he's cooking the food and it's really, really good stuff. Really good. Big or small? Just a few tables? Or? I'd say... Probably about 30, 35 covers at any time. It's fairly sizable then. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So it's in sort of two halves of a room. There's like a big table people can sit around as well. But it's like a very sort of close-knit environment. So you ride by people and there's a chance to chat to people. And once you finish dinner, you go outside and all around us, big fire with mixed s'mores and stuff like that. Open plan kitchen? Uh, no. No, you yeah. can't see into the kitchen. You can I'd see into it a little bit because the, the doors are like straight into there. But yeah, the fire's right outside. You can have a little walk about, see the gardens. Well, it was pitch black when I was yeah, But I mean, the, there must be a fire in the kitchen. There must be a big grill or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't see. You can't yeah. see. I, I'm pretty sure the wall in between the kitchen and I think he's like a supporting wall so I don't think there's much they could do with that. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's the thing with barns, isn't it? You can't really mess about with And it's a small kitchen. Like, the food that comes out of there, I'm amazed what they get up like. It's a tiny kitchen. So obviously the name Smoke, surely it's kind of like everything cooked on fire kind of It's got that concept, sort of vibe to so it, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of fire cooking involved. And I swear... I'm one of Stu Dealey's biggest fans when it comes to food. Like I'm mad on his cooking. I think he's and him, as him as a person. Yeah, and <laughs> him as a person. Yeah, he's cracking. People aren't interested if I like the person. <laughs> no, he's you know he's golden. Obviously, if you want to hear about the podcast we did with him? Go and listen to it. I'm sure there'll be another one with him in the future talking about smoke. What did you have? I had pork terrine starter, which was great. It had like crackling and a lot of other stuff like that. Really good jam, oh, mate, it was a re- best pork train I've ever had. Really, really good. And this had something that was like a smoked egg, some 
fancy egg. You said the name of the egg. I was like, I believe you, it's fancy. <laughs> yeah. That was Did you have a bit of wine, Carl? <laughs> if I was out eating, there's there a very was some good chance. stuff on it and there yeah, was an there, egg. There was an egg. <laughs> and then for mains, we went for the, the big steak to share. Oh, the cut the birth. Cut the birth. Yeah, I tried to skirt around saying it, but yeah. That's nice. <laughs> we had that. That's why you forget about the style, because all you care about is that big lump of beef. Yeah, and it came with some crazy potatoes, like s- slow cooked in onions for ages, and that onion there jam was in the middle. Ones. Yeah, they were fucking brilliant. Some of the best potatoes I've ever had. The sauce was phenomenal, like bone marrows. Oh, man, it was crazy. It was everything I wanted on a plate, basically. That's the kind of food you want to eat. There was some type of cabbage or something like that that was covered in like garlic kale you said because we just said on the last oh, episode yeah. so you, you get said... like a I forgot you get like a intro starter yeah. so you get like breads and you get some pickles like pickled veg that come from the garden and Good then stuff. you get some like pork neck and stuff like this just a bit of chaturi chaturi or whatever you can't remember the name of it but slices of meat and then like that's phenomenal as well Oh mate, was, everything's good. Yeah. And then pudding was phenomenal as well. Cheese course. Yeah, and a cheese course. Mate, we went balls deep in this <laughs> one. Really did. We went for it. You got to though. It's not a tasting menu or anything like that, is it? It's, it's not a tasting menu, but it's not a la carte either. So it's a set price. And then some stuff is a supplement on top. Now, I'm not going to lie, it's quite expensive. Great for a birthday. What you're paying for is, you know, one of the country, in my opinion, one of the country's top chefs. Can use some of the best food you can eat. And this isn't a pop up, this is his. This is you, this, is, it. Him, this is him. This is him doing his thing. This is his little place. He has the final say. It's Stu Dealy on a plate. I'm 100% going back at some point. Yeah, you've sold it. I want to go to it. I really want to go. If you go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about breakfast, mate. The oh, worst kind of breakfast for you, though. You know what? It's not a couple of alterations. Chances, Chances Cafe, right next to Sweet Meat. If you knew what Sweet Meat, obviously it's from the same people. Chances Cafe is next to that in Sershi on the Pershaw Road. The best fried chicken ever, man. Unbelievable. And waffles. The waffles are just superb, but like waffles. There's lots of good waffles around. Yeah, I've heard about this break. You've been oh, there a couple of times as well. It's my second time there now. It's been, it was even better this time there, man. Unbelievable. The crispiness of that fried chicken, it's like glass. Honestly, it just shatters, yeah. it's, it's so light as well. Sometimes you get fried chicken and it's like a bit greasy and heavy, like, you know what I mean? You can sit in there for a bit. This is like perfect. You did say there was a little secret recipe, I don't know. Yeah. If it's just trying to himself to You know what? Like everyone's <laughs> got their own little secret thing they put in their fried chicken. Yeah, sort of coating. Yeah. A lot of it comes from family kind of like origins, than it? Like, obviously not so much here, but in America. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, mate, honestly. And it, the uh, maple fudge sauce that comes with it, obviously, from sweet meat, unbelievable. Not too sweet, great for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. it sounds good, <laughs> and I'd advise people to get it. And I know loads of people that would love it as well, and that's but, fine. While I was in there, they, they did have somebody who says, like, I'm not sure on the sweet bits. And they were like, oh, well, you just have them on the sides. So. Yeah, I'd probably have it on the side. The, the, like the waffles and the sweet stuff that's fine for breakfast I'll eat that but just this fried chicken if I'm having fried chicken I want some fucking hot sauce <laughs> or some barbecue beans or something like that or chips or even just something to make it into a sandwich 
I'm sure it's fantastic, and I will try it one day. It's next level, mate. I believe in trying stuff. They do the Chinese in the evening then as well. Yeah, I really want to go to their Chinese food stuff. That looks great. Yeah, definitely want to do that. And I've got to try this fried chicken. You know me and fried chicken is probably my favourite. That's why I keep telling you about it, mate, because you... You miss the fried chicken, man. That's your thing. You love the chicken burgers. Mate, I have said. There's something coming up at the end of the month at one of my favourite restaurants and your favourite restaurants, Isaac's at the Grand Hotel. We were yeah. very, very kindly invited to try. They're doing a Thanksgiving. I think it's on the 25th of November. Thursday the 25th of November, yeah. Yeah, so I've been on about doing a Thanksgiving dinner for ages, just having people over and doing it like they do in America. It's been proper, like, we are Americanised in this country, and you see friends that often, isn't it? There's like 40 fucking Thanksgiving episodes. Mm. So I've always thought, you know what, I could do that and do all the American style food. I mean, I've got the Snoop Dogg cookbook, so it's all in there how to do it. I ain't got to do it this year. We were kindly <laughs> invited to go and try it and see what we thought. And mate, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, I was impressed, mate. Really, really good. You know, Adam takes this, like, I don't want to call it theme, man. I know it's New York kind of inspired. New York brasserie. New York inspired, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Adam just takes it seriously, man. So obviously, yeah, they had to do it. If anyone was going to do Thanksgiving, it's going to be Isaac's at the Grand. It's a cracking it's idea. Because yeah. I can't think of anywhere doing a proper Thanksgiving dinner. There will be places pop up and do it now. But they're doing it on a big scale and taking it serious. Yeah, I love it. I, thought, I wish Thanksgiving was a thing here, like the whole concept of it. Like, like it's, uh, it's it's kind of like celebrating family and friends. It is now. Sort of the origins of it are a bit Oh, yeah, fuck suspect. the origins. <laughs> like, it's, I feel like it's going to be more inclusive because it's separate from religion. Yeah, yeah. You know, so Christmas is obviously... Christmas, Diwali, but then you've got Thanksgiving, which is like completely separate to any religion and everyone can celebrate it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, mate, I love the stars, crab donuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love crab full stop, mate. Anything but crabbing. Is that main course? Unreal. It's exactly what you'd want. Did feel like something like your mum would make or something like Massive dinner, it was huge. Man. That's what I mean, man. Them roast American potatoes. portions. They took me back because that was just my nan's roast potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask them how I did it because they were identical to the ones she used to do. That's big. It's a memory of plate. It's a plate of memories, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it was nice. And there was the little touches, like the little um, swoosh of sweet potato underneath yeah. the turkey, turkey Valentine. It had everything, absolutely everything going for it. Well, trying if you want to try a Thanksgiving dinner and know what it's like, I don't see how you'd try a better version of it than going there. Had the grits on the side, green beans, fried greens. Oh, it was nice, man. Yeah, really. And then pudding. Oh, pumpkin pie. First time I've ever tried pumpkin. I can't believe that's the first time you've never, yeah. you've never even had a pumpkin soup. Never had a pumpkin soup. I had squash quite a few times, obviously, very similar. Oh, cinnamon. mate, it tasted like the same. If yeah. someone gave me a piece of squash and a piece of pumpkin, I couldn't tell you the difference. Yeah, it was very similar. It was uh, not much pumpkin coming through it. Obviously, heavily. Uh, I've never had it. As, yeah, I'd never had it in a pie. That was a lot of cinnamon. Pie, lot of yeah, strong cinnamon taste. Really nice though. Oh, I liked it's it a lot. It's just with the little chocolate bit on the side. Chocolates. And the marshmallow. Oh, and the toasted marshmallow. I can forget that. I don't know where I got them. Mark. They were the stickiest, <laughs> loveliest marshmallows I've ever had. Yeah, that was class. Yeah, so really excited about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd highly recommend people booking up for that oh yeah i went up to york for the weekend oh, yeah, i don't normally talk about other places and i won't talk about all this stuff there no, it's not birmingham like, you know. no 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 <laughs> but it has something i wish birmingham did yeah that's very true yeah uh it's got a restaurant called scosh 
Scosche. Nobody the way around you want to go. And I'm not joking, it's the best restaurant in the country that I've eaten at. It's great, man. I loved it, I did. I love the it's, concept of it. It's tailor-made to me. It's Japanese-inspired. It's like English-Japanese, and then it's some stuff's like heavily Japanese. And it's just this like tapas sort of vibe where you order little bits, you share the plates, and order more, or order like whatever you want. We think we got about nine different plates. Very affordable, John. Oh, mate, I couldn't. Bill came and I could not get over it. It's uh, Bib Gourmand, which is, I don't know how it stipulates the price, but obviously it's restricted to pricing by Michelin, if that makes sense. And it, but do you know what? You could Obviously, the first time you go, you're ordering everything. Yeah, like, I order like, loads. Yeah. If I lived there, I'd go there, probably order about five dishes. And... Oh, mate, imagine if you lived in York, you just pop in, like, if you just pop in, get like two or three dishes and then the glasses of wine it'd be amazing imagine we had somewhere like that in Birmingham yeah mate Birmingham needs Scotch yeah. but mate just if you're listening book it go up there go and eat there it's one it's I mean it's tailor made for me because I love the Japanese vibe on food and if you're a chef or a businessman listening to this go try it and then come back here and open one yeah <laughs> just you for can us. go and do what they do <laughs> Come and do one here, please. That'd be very nice. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Cool, man. Cool. On to today's episode. Absolute cracker of an episode, mate. You know what? Unreal episode. Yeah. Really, really good. Checking the Tisha. Yeah, just unbelievable, mate. What she's achieved. Like, her story. Absolutely fantastic. Mate, she made me feel so lazy. <laughs> Not intentionally, just listening to her drive and what she's done. I just felt like, like I'm wasting my time on this planet. I was energised. I was so sat much. there, like, so energised because she was, like, telling her story and there was full passion, like, going for it. Just what she's achieved is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listening to her is motivation to go and do other stuff. Yeah, books look cool. I must get her books because they do look brilliant. Yeah, she's got two cookbooks yeah. worth looking on. Two great cookbooks. Links for that so you can go and have a look at them. You can find her at like, BBC Good Food shows and stuff like that. Oh, you're here. You're here. You see her alongside the top chefs in the country at these shows. Oh, yeah, definitely. She's up there, man. And you can get her food. She actually has a kitchen that you can get takeaway from in Birmingham. Darling's Kitchen. You, you hear the origin of the name. It's a cool name when you, when you, when you hear the story. Of it. Yeah, you'll hear all about it. The food looks unbelievable. Yeah, it does. It's not often we get really excited about like vegan or vegetarian food, but everything on that menu looks super. When you see yeah. the videos on YouTube of it, oh man, makes me want to eat that so bad. And they do deliver. They deliver as far yeah, as Shirley. Yeah, they deliver quite far, yeah, yeah. Let's do that one now. Obviously, massive thank you to Chef Natisha for coming on for us. Absolutely loved having her on. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Like always, if you do enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe and follow us on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, leave a review. Stuff like that really helps get our podcast out there. And gets helps us spread the positive Birmingham message to them about all the amazing people in Birmingham a lot further. We do that for us, we'll love you forever. Ladies and gentlemen, Chef Matisha. Matisha, welcome to Breaking Bread. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really good. Thank you. Awesome. How's your weekend going? 
do you even get a weekend <laughs> no unfortunately my weekends are the busiest um yeah. my weekends are mondays and tuesdays so i'm looking forward to monday and tuesday that's quite nice though sometimes but the only problem with monday and tuesday off is there's nowhere to go and eat like everywhere closes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of good stuff's closed on a monday isn't it yeah we're closed but so is everyone else but um no it's um a good weekend weather's nice enjoying it enjoy it while i can it might change soon i think yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll obviously talk about darlings and everything now but how did you get into hospitality Oh my gosh, we're going to go back a few years now. (laughs) So I'm originally from Wolverhampton, born and bred. I'm a black country girl. And from a very young age, I've always loved food. I've loved to cook. Um, I've grown up as part of an Indian family. And when you grow up in a large Indian family, there's an event to go to every single weekend, be it um, a birthday, a wedding, Diwali. Um, there's always something going on, just a casual barbecue. But the way that my family would organise these things, it was everyone bring a dish. So we'd have an uncle doing chicken. We'd have an auntie doing biryani. We'd have my mum doing samosas. And I just remember from a very young age, before my eyes, this feast just coming together. And I think from back then, like at the age of three, four, even like probably younger, I just, my earliest memories are of food and culture and heritage. And I think that's always, um, it's pioneered this like little passion of food and cooking in me. And then as a child, I loved watching cookery shows. And then when it came to high school, I just, I didn't really think about a career in food. So I chose like academic courses. Mm. And then I remember doing my GCSEs thinking, I really want to do food. So at this point, I hadn't done food technology. And then I did an A-level. I begged the teachers. I was like, can you please let me just on the course? I really want to do an A-level in food tech. And she was like, we've never ever done this before, but okay, we'll make an exception, but you're going to have to work really hard. So I did the A-level, got the highest grades out of the whole class, the whole course. And then after that, the teacher pulled me aside and she was like, look, you've got a talent for food. Have you ever thought about your future in it? And I was like, I really don't know what I can do. Back then in Wolverhampton, we didn't really have much of a dining scene. It wasn't very cosmopolitan. I didn't really know much about the hospitality scene. And then I went to... UCB, so now called University College of Food. Back then it was um, College of Tourism, Creative Studies, food, bit of everything. Mm. And I just remember my world being opened up. So there was lecture theatres that opened up into kitchens and all these students just walking around in chef whites. And after going there for one day and just having the open day there, I was just like, yes, this is what I want to do. So I took my career forward by um, going down the academic route and I did a degree in culinary arts management, um, which was just, I think that was a start start of it for me. That was a start of my journey, start of my career doing that degree. And that just opened my world to hospitality. It's slap bang in Birmingham city centre. We're surrounded by restaurants, not just restaurants, but Michelin star restaurants. Back then, Pennell's was just pioneering that Birmingham Michelin star dining mm. scene. So to be part of that was just... Um, an eye-opener for me. What was your mum's signature dish? Now you say everyone used to think, was it the samosas? <laughs> to be honest, my mum's chicken curry, and I'm just going to call it a chicken curry. There's no other name. Like when you go to a curry house, they have all these names. Yeah. It was literally just a chicken curry. It's just something else. It's thin. It's not thick. It's just like a broth, but it's every spoonful is so aromatic, so flavoursome. And as a food consultant, I'm driving up and down the country every week. I'm eating in Michelin star restaurants. I'm trying foods from all over the country. But coming home at the weekend and just having a bowl of mum's curry, like that grounds me. That is something else. And it's just can't be beaten. 
Yeah, it's a replace, but I think it's all about how food makes you feel as well as how it tastes. So it might not, have, yeah, it might not be Michelin star, but to you, it's the best thing in the world. It brings back all their memories of childhood and yeah. everything like that. I mean, that's something a lot of pe- people have in common. Like, is uh, like we're um, I'm from an Irish background. We had massive parties as well. But yeah, a lot of it revolved around food as well. And uh, you knew, like, if you, all your family were over, you're coming for a nice big meal. And, yeah, and it, it just it's the connections you put with that, isn't it? It just yeah. just makes good things. And I hear Indian parties are a bit crazy. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. are. I know everyone thinks Irish like to party, but not as much as Indians, I don't think. <laughs> the parties go on for days. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I've never been. We should go to one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what did you study at UCB? Was that culinary arts? Was that Professor, um, was that the fellow from um, Opus that done that? Um, there's been a lot of lecturers there that have been out in the hospitality industry mm. as well so i did culinary arts management okay and on the course you can be from two different backgrounds so you can have the mvq background which is um all practical so these students have been in the college yeah or you can come from the academic route and you've done sixth form and your a levels which is what i did okay so when i joined the course i knew how to write assignments i knew how to um answer literature exam questions do any exam i knew all of that but i couldn't fillet a fish i couldn't cut up a chicken for saute i didn't know my julienne to my brunoise to my massa none of that and on the flip side those other college students they knew all of that because they've been in college for three four years doing all of the catering side of things but they couldn't do essay questions and they couldn't answer exams so we both had to do bridging courses and then when you enter the course you're on the same level Mm. so even though it's a culinary arts degree we need to factor in the word management because coming from an asian background i've got a lot of cousins my own age so when i went off to uni i went off to uni with all my other cousins and cousins of cousins Mm. and they went to do law dentistry pharmacy accountancy and people looked at me and they were like you're doing cooking. You're going to university to do cooking. And I was like, no, it's culinary arts management, emphasis mm. on the word management. It's a management degree. It's business management. Mm. We were taught how to open a restaurant. We had to do assignments on running restaurants, on accounts, on profit profit and loss, balance sheets, all of that. It's just in the food world. You know, yeah. people take that for granted because there is so much to learn in the food industry, especially if you're going to open your own business. It's not Look just at- about cooking. No, to cook, you need to be able to run a business on top of that. Absolutely, exactly. The course isn't called catering; it's culinary arts management. So, having that culinary arts, classical French cuisine style, but also, like you say, the management as well, running the business. So, when you started doing more of the food side of it, which bit did you prefer, the food or the the kind of business side of things? You know what? It's going to sound cliche, but both genuinely bringing both together. The fact that I could be creative in a kitchen, put my chef whites and learn all these knife skills. But then the next day I'm doing IT or a business degree assignment or product development. The fact that I was combining both because I am academic and I am creative. Mm. And this course was allowing me to do both. And not many courses do that. No. So I feel very lucky that I got to do that. It's a good course. I think we don't talk about enough. Yeah. Great. UCB is like it's such I know, a we treasure. Tend to gloss over it a lot of the time when we interview people. They say, "Oh, I went there or I'd do this for them," and we tend to gloss. But it's such a good foundation for, especially for what you do now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I was trained by lecturers at UCB who were also students from UCB. 
then I went there, I graduated, I left, I went into the industry, I've opened my own business and now I hire chefs from UCB. So I've got chefs at master's level, at degree level, and I've got an apprentice who's at um, a commie chef level and he's an wow. apprentice. He's doing the college course. So he's not doing a degree, he's doing a college course from UCB. So there are different levels that you can study. There are, um, it depends on the individual as well. But yeah. the fact that we go around in this circle, like this circle of life of UCB, <laughs> yeah. it's such a small industry. We all know each of them. We're all connected to UCB in some way or the other. You could be a lecturer there in the future, I think. Well, I don't know, but yeah, that'd be good. I actually had a meeting with them this week um, in regards to my commie. So they came in to look at the kitchen and the lecturer who came, he said, have you ever thought about writing a module? Because recently, as you guys know, I've got into vegan cuisine. Mm. And he was like, you know what, at UCB, that's something we don't do enough of. We don't teach academic or practical skills for vegan cuisine. Like we've got everyone sorted on how to fillet fish, how to cut up a chicken, how to cut up game. But we don't have anything for vegan cuisine. Would you feel comfortable writing that module? And I went home and I spoke to my partner about it. He was like, that would be an amazing opportunity for you. And it's something I'd love to do. I'd love to advocate for that if I could. So who knows what the future holds? Have you been focused on the vegan stuff for a while now? or? Yeah, especially during lockdown. Yeah. Um, as a chef from an Indian background, I just remember the most elaborate meat curries um, at Christmas. We So we, we would never have a whole roasted turkey, but we'd have whole roasted joints of lamb, um, but smothered in masala pastes. Um, you know, I am black country girl. I've been raised on roast dinners and fish and chips and all of that, but with Indian flavours. I never, ever imagined myself ever going into a vegan or vegetarian diet. It just was not for me. However, having launched the Delicious Book of Dal in 2019, my world has been open to lentils, pulses, vegetables, grains, the benefits of them. I've also done a lot of research. I completely understand that the vegan diet is not for everyone, but there is a lot of material out there. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but there is so much material online, on Netflix, so many documentaries. I'm sure everyone's heard of the the most famous documentaries. Um, and they are a real eye-opener. Now, my partner lived off burgers, mixed grills, pizzas, fish and chips. That's all he ate. And he's quite a big lad. Yeah. Um but he's gone vegan. He just gave it up overnight and he's been a vegan for three months. And he's just, wow. the transformation in him has been amazing. Obviously, for me, being a food consultant, being a chef, it's it's a lot more difficult. I can't just give up meat. Um, and now what I've decided to do is do two days where I'm focusing on work for my clients and that's where I'll have my meat. Um, I recently helped a restaurant open a wing, a chicken wing business and I've had to taste those wings, but that's work. But when I'm at home, I am a vegan. I'm not going to bring meat into the house. I run a vegan business. I can bring that food home. We have great meat alternatives that are soya-based. And I'm seeing a real change in my body as well. So it's a balance, I would say. Yeah, I would say it's just smart. I mean, it's we're meat eaters. Like, but I think it's been intelligent about you, we can't keep consuming meat the way we've been doing yes. it forever. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous the way things are going, the harm it's doing to our planet. Yeah. I think it, if you just do like one or two a week, you know, yeah, it would make a massive difference. Even just saying like, oh, I'm not going to eat, like meat's too cheap. Like really, yeah. the cost of meat should be massive. Like it's yeah. a steak. Everyone's slagging off Salt Bay. Yeah, you know, I know. For his restaurant in London. <laughs> yeah, but he's six, fucking piss. He is, he is. <laughs> but only in comparison. But he's charging 600 quid for a steak. And in realistically, if you worked out like how much it costs to really like, the welfare of a cow to do it properly, 
a steak should probably be about 600 quid if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a you really good I mean? point. Yeah. It really is. I think that this whole race to the bottom and charging like 99p burgers and stuff like that, oh, like, it's just like, where does that end? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know, like, until we all turn our back. I'm not sure what changes it. There's there's things on YouTube. I think, and I've said, I feel like I say this every episode. Everyone's too, like, rigid with their thinking. Like, it's too black or white. Yes. I'm not a vegetarian. Yes. I'm not a vegan. Well, why think of it like that? Maybe say, like, well, I'm, I have a conscious, so I'm going to do it this yeah. way and a bit of flexitarian and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, know. and, you know, wording is key. Communication is key. So at mm. Darlings, we very rarely use the word vegan because mm. it does put a lot of people off. But if you just say dal or a curry, people, they don't even realise that it's, it hasn't got meat in. Mm. We call our samosas samosas and they are vegan samosas, but we're not going to say they're vegan samosas. People don't realise they love them. They love the flavour and that's what you should be focusing on, the texture, the flavour, the aroma, mm. not what's what the meat is. Yeah, there's too many labels on things. Absolutely. Should people 100%. just need an understanding of food and as Liam said, just try and eat. Yeah. Maybe have a couple of vegan meals, but yeah. you wouldn't even know they were vegan. I do a black dal. Yeah. The, I use the Dissoom recipe. Yeah, that one's amazing. And it's one of the best things. I, I cook all the time. I love cooking and it's yeah. hands down one of the best things I ever cook. Yeah. To the point where I save it and I put a note in the freezer, like, do not touch. <laughs> no one is taking this out unless yeah. I'm around. And you don't even miss meeting dishes like that because it's just so wholesome and satisfying on its own. Yeah. Like lentils are so versatile. I really do believe lentils are the future. Indian cooking so good with lentils though, isn't it? Yeah. And then... Um, and veg- there's lots of parts of India that just eat vegetarian anyway, don't they? Yes. Yeah, so it's just the best food for vegetarian. Yeah, it's absolutely. You left, did you, what did you do when you left um, the College of Food? So when I left UCB, I went into hospitality. I started off as a commie chef, worked my way up to CDP and then junior Sioux. Was that around Brummore? That was in Warwickshire. So I worked at yeah. Roxall Abbey. Okay. Um, Which feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> we were doing services every day and four weddings at the weekend so we were balancing both service and events and it was just so great to be in the industry mm. um i think that was my first real experience being in the industry i was the not only was i the only female in the kitchen i was the only person of color so being a brown female back then was um it was quite different but i loved it absolutely loved it the guys were lovely Oh, that's lucky. I thought you were going to say, like, the guys were awful, but I stuck it to them every day. <laughs> well, I've had that as well. I have we had, had that. Because we had Adam on, you know, from um, the Grand Hotel. And obviously oh, yeah. he's been telling us all about, like, when he worked in kitchens and the abuse he got. And it yeah. was horrific, like. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that you had a posit- more positive experience. Yeah, I but think. Some of it was bad, did you say? Or? Yeah. I mean, you're always going to get that in hospitality. I know the world is changing. The industry is changing. But um, back then there were a few incidents, but I just couldn't let that get my way. Mm. I I could have, but I thought, why should I? I'm here to make my career. I'm here to pioneer my career. I'm not going to let that hinder me. So I I was in hospitality for two or three years. After I left Roxall Abbey, I became the head chef of a senior living home. So it's like an independent living home, but I was overseeing catering, the restaurant, the kitchen, the coffee shop, the bar. I was seeing over that. And that was a really good experience. Like the level of responsibility I had was really good. Great for my career, having just been a graduate. Mm. However, at the same time, I was catering for older people, which 
at that time, I just needed more of a challenge. You know, I couldn't do... And knowing that you were going to do an undercooked steak and it could potentially kill someone was a bit dangerous. Yeah. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, this isn't for me. Um, did, did you miss the kind of buzz of service and the camaraderie? That, well, I suppose you still have your team, but did you miss like the pressure of service? Or? You know, we ran the restaurant with fully like services as you would in any restaurant. Oh, did you? Yeah. So there was still a service there because the restaurant was paid. Oh, okay. So there was a restaurant. Sorry, I yeah. thought it was just like, you know, you were providing no. meals just to the residents. Or something. No. So this was an independent living home. So everyone okay. there was capable to yeah. go into a restaurant. They had a games room. They had like Xboxes in the games room oh, and nice. stuff. So these were people that were like in their 50s, 60s that just wanted to retire, but as mm. part of a community. But at the same time, we did have older people there as well that came into the restaurant. And I thought, this isn't for me. And then I remembered, I just thought back to my uni days. So this was about a year after I'd graduated. In my final year of uni, I'd studied product development, which was really interesting. So it's all about standardizing recipes for mass production. But that goes on to like supermarket shelves. So I thought, you know what? I really enjoy that course. I want to explore that a little bit further. So I reached out to recruiters to say, you know, can I come on board with any food manufacturing company? Mm. Even if I have to start as a kitchen assistant, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and I think about three or four months after like sending my CV out, I got offered a role to be Tesco's development chef for their Indian ready meals. Mm. So there was no starting from the bottom. It was like thrown <laughs> yeah, into the deep end. In. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Um, but it was just a completely different world from hospitality. Like you walk into factories and you're seeing like a ton of milk, a ton of cream, ton of like spices. Yeah. Everything is in like really big quantities. There's not like a pinch of this and a pinch of that. Everything has to be standardized. You have to calculate the nutrition of all these products you're creating. But just to think that I'm creating a chicken tikka masala or a chicken korma that's going to be eaten by millions of people. Like that was what sold it for me. Mm. So I got given the role. And then a year after that, um, Tesco got in touch and they asked if I could be the face of their Indian ready meals. So I don't know if you guys remember, but there was one point in 2013 when you walked into the Tesco ready meal aisle, yeah. they had like a face for the cheese, a face for the pizza, a face for the pies. Rings yeah, yeah. Ring about, yeah. Uh, so my first year in the industry, I was the face of their Indian ready meals. Yeah. Ken Hom was the face of their Chinese yeah. ready meals. Yeah. And then a year later, they scrapped everyone. They got rid of the pictures, but mine is still there. <laughs> and I don't know why. Like, I, I just don't know why it's still there. But it, their biggest seller. They're like, we'll keep this going. I hope so. I hope it <laughs> is. But it's, it's mad to think that I was just in the industry for one year and they did that because I was very, very junior. But... That sort of exposure did it for me. I was like, you know what? I've got something going here in the food industry. Let's see what I can do. And how, it, how much of that role was food-based and how much was paperwork? I'd say 50-50, really. 50-50. Yeah. So people don't realise that these um, food manufacturing companies actually have chefs working for them. So when I worked for another company, I worked with a chef who had just come back from Noma. Mm. And he did a six-month stint at Noma. And then he joined this company and he was doing frozen cottage pies and i could see wow. that it was soul destroying for him yeah. but other chefs like they just get excited of the fact that they're doing something so big you know why would they do that just because of the hours maybe like yeah less stress well but less hours i say less hours it's no. not <laughs> i've been in the office at six o'clock in the morning and i haven't left till one in the morning the next day oh definitely like, not less hours then. definitely not less hours <laughs> a whole different level of stress if Tesco say they want a ready meal, you deliver that ready meal the next day, along with all the paperwork. 
and you're doing customer facing presentations, you're presenting to directors, like hospitality is one level of stress, but the corporate world is a completely other level of stress. Just say, do you cook a curry or come up with a recipe and then you, you've got to sell it to the people that work there and they've got to test it and give you feedback. and Yeah. So, so basically it's like that. You develop a recipe, you show your manager, your manager loves it. They show their manager, their manager loves it. They might show their manager. So it's going up in this hierarchy yeah. and it's approved at a senior level. And you've, you're filled with adrenaline. You're like, oh, my God, this guy who's a managing director loves my career. I'm going to go and show Tesco tomorrow. Tesco are like, oh, that's awful. Like the come down. I can't explain to you guys the come down and the drive back to explain that to the office. You know, it's it's a different level of stress. And yeah. to be honest, I had a breakdown at one point. I did it for six years. Food manufacturing is a completely different whirlwind. And a lot of the chefs I've worked with are ex-hospitality. Like I mentioned, the guy that worked at Noma. Mm. Some of them have worked at UCB. They've studied at UCB. So they're all from the food industry. They're all from hospitality. But they've gone into the corporate world thinking they're going to get a better life when actually it's a different level of stress. It, it can be soul-destroying. It can be damaging at times. And that's what happened to me. I ended up having a breakdown in 2016. And my mum was just like, look, this isn't sustainable. You can't do this. Mm. At that point, I had a company car. I was on an amazing salary. I was an innovation chef. So not, not only am I developing, I'm innovating. I have the development chefs reporting into me. Mm. You know, like on paper, it sounds great. But when you look into it, I'm not seeing my friends. I'm not seeing my family. Why did I leave the hospitality industry for this? You know, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And then, it, do you know what? There's a different worry there because... Yeah, and this is going to sound, if you've got no money, this is going to sound awful. But sometimes when you're earning quite a bit of money and you've got nice benefits, that becomes a massive stress for you. Yeah. And I, I know it's not the worst stress you can have. Obviously, if you had zero, that's awful. But if you really hate that job and you're fed up with it and you need something new, it's so hard to convince yourself, oh, but I'm, I'm earning good money. How do I just stop? You know? Yeah. And that's where you got to at that point. That's where I got to. And like I say, on paper, it sounded good. And I, I'm not usually open about this, but I will be open. I was making good money, but I wasn't keeping any of it because a lot of it, most of it goes on tax. And when you're in that role, you've got a standard to keep up to. You're living this certain standard, this certain way of life. So it wasn't sustainable commercially anyway. Financially, all the money I was making, I was spending. Yeah. So at that point, when I'm having this breakdown, I'm in 10 grand debt and... I wasn't even making enough to pay off the interest on all these debts. Were you quite young though at this point? Uh, mid twenties. So I'd, I'd class that as young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. That's Anything... Time to start blowing all your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I definitely did. I felt like I was a kid. Well, I still feel a little bit like a kid, but <laughs> I think thirty. Once you get to thirty, like yeah, I feel like your brain fully develops like twenty five, and then yeah. by the time you get to thirty, you should know a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but under that anywhere in the 20s like you're still a kid like you don't you realize are, yeah. do you, until you're older you think you're well old at 23 you do you do <laughs> but when you're sitting there at 36 you're like man i, I didn't know it. i was like a child at 23 <laughs> <laughs> looking back now actually that does make a lot of sense yeah but yeah 26 and i'm a product development manager i've got a team reporting into me i'm doing a thousand miles a week driving up and down the country mm. and all the money i'm making this amazing salary i'm not keeping because most of it goes on tax and to pay off the interest on a debt yeah so then my only escapism was writing recipes not for work just to come on from work and write about food i just started writing i started just jotting down my life story but in recipe form okay so i was writing about the recipes i love why i love them what they mean to me what it 
talks, like what it explains about my culture, my heritage, my parents, my religion. And then before I knew it, I had like 10 recipes with an introduction. I was like, okay, this is like a mini recipe book. I'm onto something here. Mm. And then I started reaching out to publishers and I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just started reaching out to publishers like, do you think there's any scope in this? And at that point, I wasn't even sending out the recipes. It, it was just me sending out an email saying, hi, I'm Natisha, you know, small town girl from Wolverhampton, wanna be something. I don't know what I want to be, but I'd love the, I, I love the idea of having a recipe book. And the feedback was just like, look, there's so many Indian recipe books on the market. We don't need another one. There's enough out there. We're always launching new books, but there's so much being done on Indian recipes. And then I thought, okay, I need to switch this up. I need to change it. So I started attaching the recipes with it. Before the recipes, there was like this introduction about me. And then one day this publisher got in touch. So they've got offices in New York and in London, in Holborn. And... um. It was actually one of the senior managers of the publishing company. And she was like, absolutely love your story. She was like, your story is amazing. She was like, to take this modern take on Indian food. Because here in the UK, we just assume Indian food is curry. And we're all about Madhu Jeffrey. And back in the 70s, it was all about the chicken tikka masala. But no one openly talks about having Christmas as a British Asian and having a masala turkey or having a masala fish pie or having fish and chips, but in like an Indian curry sauce, not a Chinese style curry sauce. Like those sorts of things that I've grown up with. Like my parents were always factory workers their whole lives. They've been busy. They'd come home, make Jackie potato, warm up a can of baked beans and put like masala in there. Job done. There's your curry. Yeah. That must be a common thing because uh, we had, you know, crazy. Have you seen the crazy sing? Um, yeah. Crazy gin. Yeah, yeah. We had them guys on and they, the exact they were saying thing, the same thing. Yeah. We were like, yeah, we, my mum used to do us beans. We used to insist on beans and toast, but my mum was like, no, I'll, I'll make you beans and toast, but yeah. I'm putting my own thing in there. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be just boring beans and exactly. toast. Exactly. <laughs> regardless of how busy our parents were in that working generation, they had to still put a bit of their own like uniqueness on the food. And that's what they done. And that's what I wanted to show the world. That's why I want to show the world that I've grown up eating, not like, People just assume that Indians grow up eating curry and we don't. And I wanted to get that across. And yeah, there's a chapter in my book about curry, mm. but one chapter only. There's another seven chapters about everything else, yeah. you know, and that's what I wanted to get across. And they were like, we've never seen anything like this. So they're like, come down to London and we'll have a meeting and we'll see how that goes. Went down to London, had a meeting, spoke about my vision, spoke about my background, my food. And then within days, I was offered a contract for my first recipe book, which would go on sale globally. Wow. So it's just um, a bit of a whirlwind. How Is that the f- one, My Modern Indian Kitchen? That's the one, yeah. Wow. yeah. How did it feel coming out of that office? Did you did I tell you there <laughs> and then that you were going to get a deal? Yeah. How did it feel after that? Did- Amazing, because I just had such a shit week. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had such a shit week at work. And then I remember having an interview at Manchester to be a product development manager at Co-op, which went really bad, like literally the worst <laughs> interview possible. And I remember finishing that interview and sitting in a bar, just drowning my sorrows, then getting on a train and going back to Wolverhampton. And then I was like, look, you've got this meeting in London, just stay positive. And you know what? It was the best meeting of my life. It really was. And it just changed things. And I'm a big believer in energy and positivity mm-hmm. and an upward spiral. And I do believe in knock-on effects. And positivity just seems to like have this effect where it explodes it can explode and that what that's what was happening to me at that point mm. for so long I'd been like down and negative and 
having these pressures at work and pressures at home and pressures financially. And it was just too much. And I needed an escapism. And even though I was getting rejection after rejection with all these other publishers, I just, I carried on going and I'm glad I did. Because had it not been for that, those sending sending those emails, I wouldn't have had that email come through and saying, oh, we love your idea. So yeah, it felt really good. <laughs> did you Were you able to hand your notice in straight away or was it, did you have to carry on working for a little while? The I other job? carried on working for a little bit. But then when the book actually launched... I had lots of people reaching out saying, oh, would you mind doing a bit of consultancy? Would you mind doing this event? Would you mind coming and doing some catering? And I thought, you know what? I'm onto something here because, okay, I've got a corporate job, but behind the scenes, using my Chef Natisha brand, I'm getting some opportunities. Mm. Let's see how that goes. And uh, like I was always advised, don't give up your job unless you've got another job lined up. At this point, I didn't have a job lined up. I had opportunities lined up, Mm. which doesn't bring in the money. However, I saw something in it. And yeah. then um, in 2017, I decided to hand in my notice at one of the food manufacturing companies I was working at. Still had the 10 grand debt. I didn't have any contacts to start something up new. I didn't even have a car, didn't even have my own laptop. But I came across this theory called Burn the Boats. And it's about a captain back in the 1500s. And he was out to find new land. I think it was a Spanish captain. Mm. And he took his army or sailors. They're all in a fleet of boats and they found new land on an island. And it was just an empty barren land. So they pull up, like, pull up's probably not the right word, but they, the ships got on land. <laughs> they landed. <laughs> yeah. And then he said to all the sailors, right, burn the boats. And they were like, what? He's like, empty the boats, take everything off and burn them. Because there's no going back. Yeah. You're here to stay. There's no escaping. We're on this island. We have to make it work. We've got no other option. And I took that theory and I thought, okay, even though everything's against me, even though I haven't got anything standing in my way right now, I'm going to burn the boats. I'm just going to leave work because I've got no other option. There's no going back. Even though I've got 10 grand debt, it's up to me to make this work. So I handed in my notice, left work, didn't tell anyone. And then, so I had a three-month notice period that day came, I got home, I had loads of flowers in my hands. And my parents were like, where's all these flowers come from? I was like, oh, today was my last day at work. And they were like, what? <laughs> like you've given up this corporate role that's well paid. I was like, yep. And they're like, okay, so what, what are you gonna do? I know, I'm gonna go freelance. My parents have never heard the word freelance in their life. They don't know what it means. And they're like, what does that even mean? I said, I'm gonna start my own business. And you could just see like the fear in their eyes. My parents aren't from an entrepreneurial background. They've always believed that you get a job, you stick to it and you earn a living. And they've only ever worked in factories. Coming from Wolverhampton, year on year, all the factories were closing down. So I've seen the struggles they've gone through, but they've never had the ambition to open their own businesses. And there's areas that they're both skilled in and there's so much they could have done. Mm. And that's something that I learned that I want to do. So I handed in my notice and then I'm at home and I didn't have any work for seven months. I still had bills to pay, still had the debt hanging over me. And then seven months later, I was given a contract to develop Tesco's ready meals, so 33 ready meals, a monumental contract. So this is me now working as a food consultant. Mm. So still food manufacturing, but people hire me to do a three to six month contract and I get paid a day rate. They pay for my meals, they pay for my accommodation, they pay for my travel, everything's included. So bearing in mind this 10 grand debt, I'd had it for about five years and it was just getting worse and worse Mm. year on year. In six months of having this contract, as a freelance consultant, I paid it off in six months. Wow. I cleared off the debt and I made a profit. Wow. And I That's promised cool. myself, that day I promised myself, 
you're never ever going to be in debt ever again mm. and since 2017 i've never had debt i've like managed all my finances i've always been in work if i haven't got a contract i'll find freelance work but it's this burn the boats theory you know there's no going back you have to make it work and i know that sounds very um flamboyant i know how like romantic it sounds like, oh she mm. went and made it work it's not <laughs> always like that it's not glamorous at all. It's I've had a law of attraction there. No, I don't want to use that term. <laughs> you didn't I just manifested manifest one. it. Put a picture of it on the wall. No, <laughs> I did have a vision board. I'm oh, not going to. Yeah. I did have a vision board, <laughs> and I didn't manifest work. I looked for work. I looked day in, day out. I networked with every single recruiter in the country. I worked at it. You have yeah. to. You're a realist as well as like a yeah a positive. I do think like I'm slagging off. Look, I like law of attraction, yeah. but not so much the books and the. But just there is something keen. If you put positive energy in yes. one way, it will. It you, comes back to you. Uh, there's another podcast where they talk about um, creatives making their own uh, enterprises and stuff and they yeah. call it planting flags so if you yeah. keep planting flags yeah it opens doors for you oh I like that and uh, I think that's good and I heard somebody else say and Scribius Pip calls it if you have something to fall back on you usually fall back yeah and that's like you're burning the boats thing that I always uh, live by that yeah but no you were, you were very brave <laughs> I know <laughs> I don't think I could do it again. <laughs> How long did it take for your parents to come round? Was it until you got that contract and then maybe this in the light at the end of the tunnel? Or... Yeah. So I yeah. think the first part of them, like if we go back to 2013, for them, they always worried about me being in the food industry, being a brown girl. How is she going to like cope? But then when, in 2013, when they saw the picture in Tesco, that made it real for them that, okay, there's something in this. Mm. She can make it work. So it was one worry about hospitality. Then it was a corporate world. But then seeing that picture in Tesco, that made it for them. And then when the books came out, well, the first book, that was another milestone. They were like, wow, she's got a book. Mm. I think the fact that I handed in my notice at a corporate well-paid job, that was a bit of a downer for them. And then that seven-month period, they were always like, look, just go and get work, just go and find another job. So having that voice, well, having those voices, it was also like, do I do that? Do I just give up? But I couldn't, I didn't let myself give up. I could have. Days where you were close. Or? Yeah. Yeah. I got offered lots of roles. Like recruiters would always get in touch and say, I've got this role lined up, but it's full time. And I just didn't want to do full time. I just didn't want to work for anyone. I wanted to be my own boss. More than happy to work in food manufacturing, but on my own terms. Mm. I just didn't want to answer to anyone. I wanted to be able to go into a business, work there for three to six months, make a difference, launch the products, get them on supermarket shelves and then walk away. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be a part of a team where you have all those pressures because I've already been there and I just don't want, that's not for me. And then the more contracts I was getting and they saw that I was financially stable, they were like, okay, there's something in this. And then as well as doing food manufacturing, the hospitality industry reached out. Lots of entrepreneurs, lots of people that had money, wanted to open their own restaurants, but they just didn't know how. Mm. So we've got directors ready to open restaurants and then light bulb moment, they realize they haven't got a chef. They've got <laughs> a team of chefs. Yeah. <laughs> they've got a team of like kitchen assistants and they've got a team of chefs, but they haven't got a head chef, no one to lead. Mm. So that's where they hire me to come and write the menu, write the recipes, train the chefs. Once all of that's done, chefs are okay, I can walk away and go into the next project. Yeah. So I love the fact that I can do both manufacturing and hospitality because I've worked in both and now I can consult in both areas as well. You've got like the best of both worlds. Like, yeah. It's great. It's amazing how many people still think 
opening a restaurant is an easy way to make a few quid. Oh my or God. if you've got a few pounds, <laughs> that's a good way to make a few more pounds. Like it's like, yeah. there's definitely easier ways. Like you can make, yeah. maybe put it on the lottery or something. <laughs> it might be easier. Yeah. <laughs> more chance of winning the lottery, isn't there? So how did lockdown affect you? So in 2019, so September 2019, just launched the Delicious Book of Thar, my second book. I'm on a high and then I get a call from a company based in Manchester. Sorry, we didn't really get to that. But did you, did, how did the second book come about? So I was living in London. Um, I was working on a contract for a food company. Yeah. And they do recipe meal boxes. So they needed a development chef to do their recipes. Okay. So I was doing that. And it was like living in London's always hard. It was a really hard time of my life. I'm not a fan of London. I love London as a city, as a foodie. To living visit, there. But yeah. yeah, it's not a great place Looks to stay. I, stayed, I lived there yeah. for a bit and I hated it, to be yeah. honest. I love going to London, yeah. but I hated living there. I'm exactly the same. It's not for me. And um, I was having a bit of a difficult time and mum would always like on a Friday night. No, not Friday night. I'd come back on Friday nights and I'd leave Wolverhampton on a Sunday to go back. Mm. So Sunday night, she'd always pack me some food. And I remember, so my flat had a balcony. I'm sat on the balcony. It's a lovely summer's day. And I'm having a bowl of mum's dal. And it just looks so like yellow and bright. It looks so pretty. And I took a picture of it and I put it on my um, Twitter. And my publisher saw it. And then one of them reached out and she was like, you know what, this morning we were having a talk about doing a book on lentils, but we didn't know who the right author would be. She was like, you talking about lentils and dal in such a nostalgic way. She went, that's it for us. Like, it's click. Like, you are the chef to do that. Yeah. So I had another meeting, went to London. Well, I was already in London, but I had a meeting with my um, publishers. And we talked about a book on dal. Now, people don't realise how versatile lentils are. Mm. The book has got seven chapters and each chapter is based on a different type of lentil. So there's different types of lentils that all have different properties, different functionalities. And um, I think I did 10 recipes on each dal. So there's about 77 recipes in this book. Oh, wow. Was that hard to make 77 records on dal? No, because there's so many different types and there's so much you can do. I've got a whole chapter on dal-based desserts, lentil-based desserts. So there's um, waffles that are gluten-free because we're using um, lentils as the batter mix. Mm, So I don't know if you guys have heard of masala dosa. Dosa yeah. is like um, a South Indian pancake, yeah. gluten-free, fermented. And I don't know if you guys know about the process. So you soak rice and you soak lentils separately for yeah. 24 hours. Then you put them together and you soak that again. And then you blitz them together and then you let that soak overnight again. You let it ferment to form a batter. Now, this recipe is hundreds of years old. Whoever came up with that recipe is bloody genius. <laughs> like it's just the most... Not complex, but long-winded recipe, but it works. Yeah, how did you stumble across that recipe? Yeah, how, how did you create a pancake? How did you create a pancake from rice and lentils fermented together? And people don't realise the versatility of those lentils. Lentils is more than just boiling and add it to like a curry base to make a dal. Mm. So like the dosa waffles for me, so we use that dosa batter. And you you can make waffles from that batter. You can make pancakes. There's so much you can do. It's served with a date syrup. And then um, there's also like a rice pudding, but using lentils instead. So it's a lentil pudding. Like it's called kheer in Hindi. Mm. And um, so, yeah, that's how the book came about. And I didn't struggle. I just did not. I struggled with managing work and writing a book. Yeah. Because that was really difficult. I was on the tube, on the underground, just typing away. 
I was typing away until two in the morning sometimes and proofreading the book. So the thing with me, all my recipes, so to write a recipe book, you need to try the recipes three times to make sure they work. Then you send it off to the publishers and they try it. They have home economists. So the likes of, you know, the big dogs, Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver, they have a team doing that. Mm. I don't, so I'm doing that myself. (laughs) So as well as managing my full-time job as a consultant, I'm also doing that. And it was really difficult But the one thing I didn't struggle with was compiling that list of recipes. I always knew that that was going to be there. Yeah. How many of the curries, would you say, in in any of the books that you do, are obviously existing stuff like a black dal, for example, that exists, but you'll have a recipe for it. And that recipe might be independent to you. But how many of the recipes are just completely your own concoction and don't exist anywhere else? I'd say a good 50 to 70%. Wow. Yeah. There's things like masala fish pie that people are just like, okay, this is genius. Like a fish pie is so beautiful when done properly, a proper British fish pie. Yeah. But if you imagine that sauce and you replace that with coconut milk and you add curry leaves and a bit of turmeric and all the seafood that's going in, that's marinated in seafood. And then you replace a potato with sweet potato, but the sweet potato has got mustard seeds and curry leaves running through it. It's a completely different product, but it's still a fish pie. It's still got a potato topping. It's just the flavours have changed. And that's the way I grew up. That's the way I was fed as a child. But as an adult, that's that's the sort of food I like cooking now with my partner. That sounds incredible, mate. Yeah, I'm having that. <laughs> <laughs> it made me so hungry, that. <laughs> oh. Do you have a favourite recipe? Uh, aside you know, from the dal book, do you have a favourite recipe? I was going to say the masala leg of lamb from my modern Indian kitchen. Oh, tell us about that because I want to hear about that now. <laughs> so that leg of lamb, I've probably done it 200 times. So when it's Christmas, I do it in the oven. In the summer, I slow cook it and then finish it off on the barbecue. It's so versatile. But it's a leg of lamb that's been marinated for 24 to 48 hours. You slash the lamb so that all the flavours penetrate mm. through. But what a lot of people don't do, and I've talked about this so openly, they just put the lamb in to roast. Like They get it out the fridge and put it straight in the oven big no-no like let that lamb come up to room temperature you can't put cold meat into the oven but also scrape off every single ounce of marinade don't cook the marinade because marinade burns if you're going to do a quick chicken tikka with chicken breast and it's going to take you 12 minutes go for it Mm. if you're going to roast a leg of lamb for four hours you're burning those beautiful spices Mm. so i slow cook the lamb for three to four hours in the last 15 minutes i reapply the marinade to form a crust but people don't realise that. And it like breaks my heart when people are slow cooking it with all yeah, the marinade on. It just burns. I've got to admit the marinade thing. I haven't heard that before. No. Somebody once told me as well that um, we use, when we make marinade, we use, uh, a lot of them involve yoghurt. Yes. Yogurt, but we use it wrong. So somebody said you're meant to hang the yoghurt or like strain it first yeah. to let all the liquid go out. So you just have yeah. the solid like yoghurt from it. Yeah. So you're separating basically mm. the curds and whey. Yeah. And if you hang it in muslin cloth, um, and people used to do this back in the day in a pantry or a cold room. Mm. If you've got room in your fridge, you can do that as well. Or just let it sit in like a sieve and you want as less liquid in there as possible because it's so creamy. It's almost like um, like ricotta cheese once it's been strained. Yeah. Yeah. But that, the cultures in there, like they um, tenderize meat. Mm. So yogurt is absolutely essential for marinating meats in Indian cuisine. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good tip there. I, I, I always keep that one with me. Yeah, that <laughs> What's your favourite doll? My favourite doll has to be the black doll, Kali yeah, doll. So how long does yours take to cook that you do? I'd say a good eight hours. Yeah, it's a lot of work, isn't it's it? It's a lot of work. And if you want to speed it up, use a pressure cooker. I'm all about the convenience, but for me, it's all about the old-fashioned way. I haven't tried on the pressure cooker. I've heard a few people say it's okay, but it never turns out quite the same. Yeah, 
100% agree. So I soak the lentils for 24 hours in hot water, warm water, let it soak. And then I just, when I do the curry base, so I boil my lentils separately. Once they're soft, I add the two together and just let that simmer. Just let it simmer for as long as you can, but really slowly. Because if you're going to do it on a high heat, it's just going to form a crust and burn at the bottom. You don't want that. But black doll, it's an aura doll with the black skin. It's so creamy and velvety. And that's the flavor and texture that you want to you want to release that. And you need to do that slowly. There's no quick cooking about black doll. No. And it's one of my favorite dolls from Darlings as well. I love it at Darlings. That's a great name for a book as well. Is it supposed to be a play on words? Yes. So the book is called The Delicious Book of Doll. And my publishers came up with that. And then at the launch party, I got on stage and I was just about to do my speech. And I went, hello, darlings, like you're playing words. Yeah. And everyone stared at me like I was just like being really cheesy. Like <laughs> they, they actually didn't get, yeah, exactly. It was a proper ab fab moment. They just thought I was calling everyone at this professional event, darling. But they didn't get the play on words. Mm. And um, it was on my social media that I started like saying darlings every time I was talking about darling. People were like, that is such a cool name. <laughs> And it doesn't actually like sound Indian or English. It's just like a mixture of both. Yeah. And I love that because that's a representation of me, like mm. both cultures. And it's all about like our darlings. Like we call it our community, our darling. So at the minute we've got chefs and I've got a commie chef at the minute who actually has autism. And at Darlings, we're all about the environment, sustainability, eco-friendly packaging. But we're also about giving everyone an equal chance. We're about equal opportunities inclusivity and it comes down to the darlings community as well so it, it's got a different term in different senses so before we get ahead of us how did darlings come about then this darlings is your new company yes you do is it nationwide delivery no just no. in birmingham at just the minute. birmingham at the minute yeah uh, do you want to tell us how that came about or yeah so we've spoken a lot about um my time as a food consultant so in 2019 i just launched the delicious book of darling in september a mm. week after the launch like I'm on such a high get a call from a company saying um well they didn't say much i had to sign an nda but mm. you know how amazon have recently launched supermarkets yeah i developed their ready meals and i wasn't allowed to say it for months but now that they've launched i can talk about it right so I was told it was a six month contract and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to make so much money. <laughs> I did the rest. Usually recipe development takes a long time. It does take six months. And I shot myself in the foot because I did it in a month. Like my recipes, I just got them right. They were just, they were right <laughs> the first time. Perfect. Yeah. Did them once. Managers approved them. Amazon approved them. So they're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. No, don't need you anymore. So November 2019, they were like, look, we're really sorry. We just, we can't afford to keep you on because you've done the work already. So I was like, okay, that's fine. You know what? I've never, ever had Christmas off ever. I'm going to enjoy Christmas this year. Let's enjoy November. My birthday's in November. Let's enjoy November. Let's enjoy Christmas. And we'll start looking for work in January. So that's what happened. January came around and then there's this talk about a virus going around in China. And I'm like, oh, it won't happen here. It won't come here. It'll be we fine. We all thought that then. We were like, no, yeah. we've heard about it, but yeah. it won't come here. <laughs> So then um, carry on looking for work in the food industry. And one by one, there's outbreaks in the food industry, in the factories. I don't know whether we, we don't know whether you guys remember, mm. but it started off in sandwich factories and then chicken factories because these factories are all four degrees and that's perfect environment for viruses to spread. Mm. So my industry was being plagued with this new virus. And I was like, I can't do this. It's just too scary. It's too dangerous. So from... Before lockdown came in, in March, I'd already taken a step back in February saying, I'm gonna, I'm not going to go into work again. Mm. And I'll just work from home, whatever I can do. 
obviously when you're a chef and a food consultant you can't really work from home you have to be in, a, in the kitchen um and then we got to june or july and lockdown was affecting me mentally and i thought i can't let this happen again i can't go down that route i can't have another breakdown and i'd, I'd been sat on this idea of darlings for a while and for me darling started off as a recipe meal kit so we send dal to your house because a lot of people struggle with cooking dal and that's the number one comment i got after launching the book mm. so i'd launched the delicious book of dal which went on sale globally great feedback everyone loved the recipes easy to follow but then people wanted to like cook it for themselves not having to go out and buy the ingredients because some of the ingredients you can't always find in your everyday supermarkets you can't always get curry leaves you yeah, know i mean if it sounds ridiculous in birmingham yeah because it's yeah. easy for us but if you lived in some suburb of like in a village of, yeah a village out on the outskirts of oxford you got no chance maybe like yeah you can't get your curry leaves or asafoetida yeah so i had the idea of opening a company where we package all of those ingredients they're all pre-weighed and pre-portioned out for you all you have to do is follow the recipe card and you can make your own dolls at home mm. so all the recipes from the delicious book of dal we picked out 20 key ones and we were going to do those as boxes so i started applying for funding i think i went down the angel investors route i went down the virgin route um, wasn't really getting anywhere. I had a guy reach out saying, I'd like to work with you for free. Don't even pay me a salary. I just want to be a manager. He wanted to come on board as a general manager and everything was going well. But then the worse lockdown got and the more the hospitality industry was suffering, every other chef and restaurant in the world started doing their own recipe meal boxes. <laughs> and I was like, hey, so what do I do now? I'm not going to stand out. You can have like all these like, um, Sat Baines was doing an amazing box Actar was doing an amazing box and I thought these are Michelin star chefs man like what do I do me and my boyfriend spoke about it in great detail and he was like you know what I've always wanted to be in the food industry I've always wanted to have a part of the food industry as well have like a little food business and then we spoke to our friend who's um, he's got a few businesses in Birmingham really good guy nice like aura positive energy and he's he's a bit of an entrepreneur wealth of contacts and knowledge so the three of us met and before we knew it like we just met for lunch and we were talking about it and we went away that night having formed darlings like we were like right let's do it we just decided to open darlings so that was in um late 2020 and then we started january 2021 looking for premises and there's just nowhere in birmingham that's suitable for a cloud kitchen mm. for what we wanted to do we just wanted to be a takeaway we knew the industry wasn't going to open anytime soon so we were like let's just stick to a takeaway and then we can look at restaurants later um look for premises but it was really really difficult but we are where we are and we found a kitchen in march march april time we found a kitchen premises started moving all of our stuff in i bought a rationale like being a chef, like, like I know I'm a woman. I'm I'm not about the Gucci bags or the Louis Vuitton. For me, it's a rationale oven. I have a rationale oven. So I bought myself a rationale oven. I bought myself a dishwasher for four grand. Like I was having a field day going out yeah. buying like a hundred gastro trays. I was like in my element, kitted out the kitchen. And then in July of this year, we opened Darlings. We launched to Birmingham. We had an exclusive VIP launch party. We invited food bloggers from around the city and yeah we celebrated and darlings is now open it is open nationwide if you want to drive from london or wherever <laughs> yeah, if, if they want to yeah if they want to drive and <laughs> click and collect they're more than happy to so is it on delivery is it or? we're on uber, uber eats and just eat and we're gonna get on to delivery this week hopefully and is it how many mile radius around brum is it do you know or? we've opened it to the whole of birmingham the we've, whole of brum 
we've been delivering to Shirley, Solihull, Wolverhampton, Wensbury. Literally, that's where we live. That's where we live. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, <Shirley>. wow. <laughs> yeah, we just we want people to have a taste, and we've got a driver. We know that on Uber and Just Eat, it's only a three-mile radius, but we want people to have a taste of our food, you know, and we've got a driver to do that now. Um, I think it's the best way. And it breaks my heart when people are like, oh, I'm in Solihull. Can I not order? And I'm like, you know what? I really want to say yes. And that's why we decided to get a driver. Because oh. I, don't, I don't want to turn anyone away. I don't want to say no to anyone. I mean, within reason. We're not going to drive to London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great way to be. There's so many things that have opened up through the lockdown that was great food, the places we love. Yeah. We were like, don't deliver to Shirley, do you? And they're like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and it's... Is it vegetarian or vegan? Is so we started off as vegetarian yeah. and vegan. And by vegetarian, we had three dishes with paneer in, which is an Indian cottage cheese. Yeah. But they weren't that popular. And then me and my business partners, we sat down and we were like, you know what? Let's just go the whole hog. Let's just do it. We don't need three dishes on our menu that are holding us back. Mm. So we scrapped the paneer, replaced it with tofu, and now we're completely vegan. What was the reasoning in going completely vegetarian or vegan anyway in the first place? Like, And not doing meat? So I'd at that point, I'd watch those documentaries I was okay. talking about earlier. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to say it. Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> watch those. <laughs> and even though I'm not ready to go vegan, I want to do my bit for the planet. Mm. And if I can create more of a safer, healthier, tastier environment by having a business, mm. let's do it. I mean, I have drastically changed my diet. My boyfriend has completely changed his diet, 100% vegan. Mm. And now we're doing a business as well. So we're really advocating for it. We're not pushing an agenda. We're not saying you have to become a vegan. But we're helping those that want to have that vegan meal once or twice a week. We're mm. there for you, you know. Do you get many non-vegans come? Yeah. Yeah. We actually do. And surprisingly, most of them are men. Yeah. I'm actually shocked that most of our customers are men. Middle-aged men that want to have dal midweek. And like we do things like kima fries or a kima curry which it sounds yeah. dirty kima loaded fries but it's 100% vegan using soya mints and it's not like corn where it's scrambled egg it's actually really good it's got that same texture and resistance as lamb mince would yeah I've seen it on the menu it looked awesome that did thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said you kind of touched on it as well that like all the packaging is uh, eco-friendly was that something like from the beginning this you you were like right these are my non-negotiables so I've got it's got to be vegan it's got to be or um sorry it's got to be humane meat-free and it's got to be eco-friendly yeah 100 yeah. it had to be that was a no-brainer for me um we wanted to actually start doing our own smoothies as well mm. like and we wanted to do like vegan lussies yeah. but we, we couldn't find the right packaging so we scrapped that menu yeah. we just took it off the menu because the packaging's not the right fit so we it's could... just the packaging hard but uh what's uh vegan lassie like it's really good. Is so it? we use coconut yogurt and it's so nice. Good. It's so good. Whether you want it sweet or salty, it works. It's oh, so good. I can't beat Lassie, man. I've That's got to admit, so I had nice. several things turn up in the packaging. I'd end up with like 15, 16 plastic boxes. Yes, yeah. Mm. And like, man, I'm killing the planet. I've only ordered yeah. one meal and I'm killing the planet. <laughs> and like chutneys, dip pots, they all go in little plastic all pots. separate ones. Luckily, I've kept yeah. them all. I do use them because I freeze a lot yeah. of the food. So I do batch cook loads of stuff. So yeah. I do use them. But, but not a lot of people so do. so many turned mm. up. The amount of people that like won't rinse them and recycle them, they just go straight in the bin. Yeah. And it just ends up in the ocean. And we really need to start thinking about the whole chain. And not a lot of people are doing that. I know a lot more people are, mm. but there's still a large market that aren't. So if we can stop that at the source 
as a business owner and as a food business owner, we do have a duty of responsibility and it starts with us, you know, mm. like just me going vegan is not going to help the planet. But me opening a business where other vegans can come, where flexitarians can come, but all our packaging is eco-friendly, that is a big difference to help Birmingham, to help the UK. Mm. And even with our packaging. So right now they're craft board. So if you were to have a curry in there, they've got a lining where the curry doesn't seep through. Mm -hmm. And after you're done, you just give it a rinse and you can use them as plant pots. You can plant awesome. vegetables or like flowers, whatever you want. But what I really have an initiative to do, and I need to get funding for this. My initiative is to have um, plantable pots. So the pots are made out of seeds or lentils or something where they turn into trees. So, oh, right. yeah, you can That's go. Cool. So or you could just put a pack of seeds or something with it and yeah. say, like, plant, please plant this afterwards. Like exactly. a storyboard afterwards. It's a great yeah. idea. Yeah, I'd love to do something like that. Mm. Just even smarter seeds, like put some soil in, put the smarter seeds after you're done. You've got a smart plant, you keep it in your kitchen. It doesn't yeah. need to go outside. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice idea. Yeah, little initiatives like that. Because we live in the city. Not a lot of people think about that. Mm. But, you know, if you want to have something on your windowsill, our packaging can help you do that. Amazing. Is this, you, I know you were a manager before. Is this the first time you had your own employees? Yes. How has that been? A bit scary. Yeah. Like knowing that you're in charge of their salaries every month. So there's things that I'm doing that I never really thought I'd be doing. So like calculating, like doing the rotors, adding the hours. Mm physically paying them the cash from my bank account well our joint business bank account but that's our cash yeah. like it's really scary and daunting but you know what it's just it's been such a great journey it's been quite um overwhelming but in a good way like satisfying that we're actually here we've spoken about it for so long and now we are here we're doing this how many chefs did you say you have i've got three three yeah and you, do you feel responsible and like you, that you're they your responsibility now you have to look after them like, yeah like yeah. i call them my boys i mean oh. some of them are old enough to be well young enough rather to be my kids <laughs> so um and ed and i we don't have children but when we go to work it's like right our boys are here you know we can look after the boys <laughs> we do friday treats we take them out for meals did you have like any mentors or anyone you could speak to about being like being a, an employer yeah, so, well, not necessarily an employer, but the lecturers at UCB have been mm. a great help because some of the chefs are students at UCB. So when we went through the recruitment process, they really helped with the chefs as well. Um, and then in terms of being an employer, our business partner, Ed and I, he's already an entrepreneur. He's got a few other businesses. Mm. So he's been great with like creating contracts and the HR side of things. So that's been a great help. I don't think we would have been where we are now without his support. It's weird. There's two sides to being like to having uh, staff now, isn't it? Like to having a team. You've got the legal side and then yes. you've got like the emotional responsibility to those stuff as well. Yeah. It's, it's 100%. tough, man. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it's really tough. But sounds like you've got a great team and sounds like you're doing special things down there. Like we have to try oh, it. I yeah. just didn't realise it was as far as Shirley. Is yeah, that a recent? in the postcode and I was like, oh, that won't come out to Shirley. No, yeah. we will. Yeah, we will. But process form will allow you to and i say that to everyone have a go and like when you're placing your order just have a look if not give us a call and mm. a lot of people don't do that they get a bit put off and they're like oh they won't deliver but you know our phone lines are always open just give us a call yeah i never thought of calling i don't call anyone anymore oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if we text is there anything else coming up um in the pipeline i've been doing a few demos this year and i did um pub in the park so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we that. had yeah, we had um Michelle Rue, we had Marcus, Marcus Waring, 
Atul Kachar. So when you see their names, it was Michelle Wu, Michelin star. Marcus Waring, Michelin star. <laughs> Actor, not Actor, sorry. Um, Atul Kachar, Michelin star. And then it says Natisha Patel, darlings. So we had these three industry famous godfathers. Yeah. And then me, like for me, that was a highlight of my year. And Charlotte, who does my PR, has been amazing. She's put me forward for so many magazines, demos. Mm. And then as a food, no, not as a food consultant, as a chef in the industry, every year I'd go to Taste of London, the summer one. And if I could manage it, I'd do the winter one as well, just to see what's new. And this is my first year doing Taste of London as a chef demo. So it's my first year doing that. This year has been amazing for me on stage, doing demos, getting the name out there, getting the brand. So yeah, that's all going really well. Um, and then I guess it's just a case of pushing darlings, really. Um, been out of the business for the last two weeks, working with a client. I'm back now. And yeah, just taking it forward, creating some new content for social media, evolving the menu a little bit, tweaking the menu. But yeah, it's just, um, it's never ending when you have a food business. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So we're coming up to like the hour now, and we're really grateful for your time. I Gosh, feel like it's gone quick. It does fly by. Yeah, so they it? always fly. <laughs> Absolutely. Crazy. Um, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before? Because Carl does some little questions at the end. Okay. There was um, anything else you wanted to bring up, or on the whole, I just want to say I know it's a really difficult time right now for our industry, mm. hospitality, catering the food manufacturing industry i just want to put a little note out there little message just to tell everyone like stay strong and stay resilient it's so difficult now hiring chefs and it's so difficult for the actual chefs as well mm. it is a difficult time but i think together we'll get through this we just need to remain strong i know a lot of people are leaving the industry i've experienced it firsthand and i just want to say to everyone remember why you got into it in the first place you do have a passion for food. You do have a passion for cooking. And you must have a passion for feeding people. Just remember that. And let's build back our hospitality industry stronger. We've got a fantastic industry here in the UK. And let's just carry on adding value and strengthening that. I love that. What a message. I know, yeah. <laughs> I oh. feel like I should add some Braveheart music at the end <laughs> to that. Like. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> I mean, you're on a horse. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Natisha. No, thank you. What's your favourite movie? You know what? There's an Indian film. It's called Lagan, and it's set hundreds of years. I don't even know the year. It's set hundreds of years ago. And it's about the colonial period of India mm. when um, the British were ruling India. And one of the guys that's from the British army makes a pact and he says to the Indian villagers who are being treated like shit, he says, at this point, India don't know what cricket is. Now they're world leaders in cricket, but they don't know what cricket is. And he says, if you guys can beat us in a cricket match, you don't have to pay taxes ever again. <laughs> so these guys from the villages go away. They spy on them, watch and learn themselves how to play cricket and they smash it. And for me, awesome. that is like <laughs> such a sick move. So <laughs> I like yeah, that. Lagan. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite band or DJ or artist? Um, oh, my God. You know what? It has to be Michael Jackson. Yeah. All time great. For me, just like smashed what he did, broke down boundaries. Loved everything he did. Cool. Um, other than your own cookbooks, what's your favourite cookbook? I think, I can't even remember which one it is. It's a Rick Stein one. Rick Stein in India. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, for me, Rick Stein is like, Rick Stein and Keith Floyd are my godfathers, my culinary heroes. Yeah, I love Keith Floyd. Yeah. So Keith Floyd, funny. Yeah. Hilarious. But for his time, for him to go to India and Africa and all these, like, random places in Southeast Asia, for him to do what he did, just pioneered um like cooking from foreign countries but when rick stein went to india i think in 2013 he cooked 
and he ate and he sat with the locals. And for me, that meant so much as a girl, like as an Indian girl, not from India, but I am a, I've got Indian heritage, to watch Rick Stein do what he did and create that book. That book is flawless. Awesome. The recipes are amazing. Cool. Um, what's your favourite big fast food chain? Wagamamas. They've just they've never that. got it wrong. No, they are good. I like them. I've, I've never been. been. Have you not? Oh been. my god! No, 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 I keep you saying need to go. I've never been disappointed. What's your favourite takeaway? Survive, survive from Harborn. I order it at least once a week, maybe once every two weeks. Nice, that's a good one. What's your favourite dish that you cook at home? Black dal, gali dal. Yeah. Um, popping out in Brum for a quick bite. Where do you normally go? Oh my god, there's so many places. You know, recently it's been the vegan kitchen in um, Great Western Arcade. Yeah, that's just open, isn't it? Uh, yeah, recently I've been going there a lot and it's just amazing. Oh, really good. Burgers. It's are on so our insane. list to go to. Yeah, we need to go. You need to go. The burgers are insane. Um, what's your favourite food destination in the world? I've already done Thailand and I do want to cover the whole of Southeast Asia, but I really want to go to Malaysia. I really, really want to do the yeah. street food from Malaysia. That would be a dream. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Well, thank, thank you, you very so much. much. No, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for having me on. No problem. Thank you.